everybody. Welcome to another episode of Two Strike Noise, your weekly baseball history podcast. I am half of the show. As always, my name is Jeff. The other half is uh, joining me as well. The usual Mark A. Johnston. Mark, how are you doing today? Man, uh, it is. Uh, it can't get any better than this. I, I've got that MLB ticket, and so I can watch games all day. And if I miss any games, I can watch the replays. It's pretty amazing. Probably want to go back and watch the Mariners. They're they're really, really entertaining oh, right now. They're in what we call a bit of a rough patch. <laughs> yeah. Well, they could probably you know use some vaccinations as well. Uh, probably be. Probably be helpful, but uh, we've got uh, we got a show today. We're recording this on Saturday night. This is like Saturday Night Live, but without the audience or the humor or right. or the talent or yeah, the, the talent. Guests. Yes, don't forget the talent. Uh, this is a first. I don't think we've ever recorded on Saturday night before, but schedules come up. So uh, so we're doing this. We are also going to do one of our award winning tales from the dugout episode because this kind of snuck up on us so <laughs> that means we got a lot of little stories it's kind of like bp and then the game gets rained out so bp was the whole show so let's just get right into it and uh it'll be interesting though these little stories are can be incredibly entertaining if you've never heard it before it's just stories that don't warrant a whole segment so it's just they're quicker little ones uh, but we do like to start out with BP to kind of get ready for that and, and stretch out. And Mark, now you, this is a baseball history podcast. You have now been history to two historical events. I guess witness to history to two historical events already this season, a month and a half into it. You worked your second no-hitter of the year already. I did. Uh, two no-hitters within, uh, I think it was 15 days of each other. I think it was within 14 days because I've got a note yeah, it was, here uh... on this. <laughs> Kyle Seeger of the Mariners has now played in nine no hitters with the Mariners. So they're not all, you know, the Mariners weren't no hit all nine of those times. Sometimes they no hit the other team, but that is the most by any player in major league history with a single franchise. The Mariners became the fourth team they were soon joined by the Rangers, who became the fifth team uh, the next day in Major League history to be no hit twice in a 14 day span or less. <laughs> the other teams, proud. yeah, the other teams were the 1917 White Sox, the 1923 Philadelphia Athletics, and the 2015 Los Angeles Dodgers. Good that, company. The, yeah, that so that no hitter though, it, he tied Carl Crawford for the most no hit losses. But he, Kyle Seeger, owns it with, with just one team because he's only been on the Mariners. I've got a list here of these no-hitters that he's been involved with. So four, and let's see how many of these you you worked because I, I only worked one of these. Okay. Four, where the Mariners did the no-hitting. There was Felix's perfect game in 2012. That was you. Yeah, that was me. The Mariners combined no-hitter that I know Kevin Millwood started. I don't remember who else was involved. I don't think I did that one. Uh, Kuma, Hisashi Iwakuma in 2015. I did work that one. All right. James Paxton in 2018. I think that was on the road, wasn't it? That was in Toronto, I think, yeah. 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 Uh, Then against them, the infamous Philip Humber perfect game. Yes. I think you worked worked that one. one. 
the yep. Angels combined game that that was in Anaheim in 2019. The Astros combined no hitter, which I think that was in Houston also in 2019. Is that? It, it was yes. Yeah. It was on the road. Then there was the John Means earlier this month, which I worked. You worked, and then there's the Spencer Turnbull, which you as which well. Also works. <laughs> so, Mark, in in the casino business, there's a term, a cooler. And uh, I I am fairly certain that you are a cooler for the Seattle Mariners. <laughs> the franchise has problem the entire time. Yeah, they're, they, you know, do they realize they pay you to come to these games? Well, I think it's going to be very publicized now since you brought it up. And <laughs> I'm going to have to move into the world of hockey and football. Yeah. Oh, boy. <laughs> football. Hockey. I'm all about. I, I love hockey games. I love. Yeah, I love games. my hockey, too. All right, so that's that's just a lot of no-hitters. I mean, on this pace, Mark, you could have worked maybe about eight no-hitters this year by the end of the year. We'll check back in, but we'll just see. That's a definite possibility. <laughs> uh, another something that people have been talking about in the last week, and uh, not in so much a good way, is the old grumpy man in the dugout, Tony La Russa. Oh yeah. Oh boy, what a what a mess this guy is. But what I, I I saw something that I did not know and is rather interesting. So on Twitter, first of all, you can find us on Twitter at TWO Strike Noise. Uh, we do not have a blue check mark. You know what the blue check marks are for? Um, th- does that mean you own a Seven <laughs> Eleven? Well, it, you know <laughs> what? I, I got that. haven't really. <laughs> Haven't really looked into it that far, but I mean, I guess maybe that could be one way you get a blue check mark. It basically means you're a verified user. So celebrities usually have one once they can prove that, hey, I am in charge of this account. It's not some, it's not Devin Nunez's mom or cow, you know, somebody pretending to be somebody. Uh, it is right. a legitimate person. Well, I learned that uh, blue check marks are a thing because of Tony LaRussa. Really? Yeah. LaRusa sued Twitter when a, I'm not going to say a fan, when somebody, a troll, maybe, I don't know, I don't, uh, made an account under his name and started to post, it said offensive messages. I don't know if that's really true or if they were just ragging on, on Tony, whatever. So Twitter settled the lawsuit after they agreed to pay for LaRusa's legal fees, make a donation to his ARF uh, animal Rescue, which he's no longer a part of now, and take steps to stop phony accounts, which meant these blue check marks. So Tony LaRussa is shaping social media once again. You know, as to be expected of Tony LaRussa. Yeah, I mean, when you look at Tony LaRussa, you think of somebody that is up with the times, you know, somebody that's really... Uh, he's really got his finger on the pulse of, of everything modern. Yeah. Tony Russa is, is definitely technologically savvy. That's yeah. what I'm trying to say. Well, I think he knows how to hack the breathalyzer that is no doubt installed in his car because he's still Ouch. driving around somehow. I'm not a fan. You know, he was the manager of the last time my team won the World Series, but I just can't stand the guy. Interesting. All right, let's, let's move on to something a little bit more fun. Uh, so New York City. Central Park. Everybody knows Central mm-hmm. Park. You know, they play softball there. They've got softball fields where Seinfeld and some some other comedians took on the cast of Rochelle, Rochelle. And, and 
Kramer had to be, well, became an indentured servant, essentially, to Bette Midler. Uh, so they do actually play softball there, and it's actually a pretty big deal. Well, imagine if you're just walking along or you're getting ready to play, and uh, you look over on the other team, and there is Mr. CeCe Sabathia, because that's what happens right now. He is playing softball in Central Park, enjoying his retirement. That's crazy, man. I mean, really? He's, yeah. he's just playing, not like not like pickup softball. No, this is a league. He's He's there with some friends. He's the only former player. But yeah, he is he's there. He's batting, I think it said second or third, and he's playing first base. He said, I am not pitching. <laughs> nice. He said, I'm done with that. But he's apparently uh, waving a big stick, uh, hitting for power, has no problem. Apparently, he, he doesn't have a problem taking selfies with everybody and kind of being the celebrity that he is. So I thought that was pretty cool. I would love <laughs> that to. That is fun. We I just, love it. Yeah, that's great. <laughs> you're getting ready to play, and this big hulking dude comes up there, and it's Cece. <laughs> All right, so before we get into debuts, this show is, by the way, de- debuting on May 25th. There is something that happened today, May 25th, back in 1922, that I just wanted to mention before we get into our debuts. So today, in uh, 1922, after being called out, after trying to stretch a single into a double... Babe Ruth gets up, throws dirt in the umpire's eyes. (laughs) And then, if that wasn't enough, uh, as he's walking back to the dugout, somebody starts to heckle him in the stands. He climbs into the stands. You know, this sounds a lot like Ty Cobb, but... Very much so. And goes after the heckler in the stands. And then, before he uh, leaves, after finally being ejected, he stands on top of the dugout, telling the crowd that they are cowards and just generally (laughs) berating them from the top of the deck out. These actions, get this, led to a one-game suspension and a $200 fine. (laughs) So so he got a day off. Yeah, he got a day off. I mean, $200 is, you know, back then, certainly in 1922 was a lot, but he was also one of the highest-paid players. He had endorsements all over. Uh, The biggest thing that this cost Babe Ruth is just earlier that week, he had been named Yankee captain, which, you know, that's a big deal to be named captain of the New York Yankees. They took that away from him. So he held the captaincy for less than a week. That was that oh. was probably the biggest loss was was that. All right. So let's do let's look at our at our debuts this week, May 25th. We've got two really, really big debuts one is a hall of famer and one is certainly a future first ballot hall of famer the future first ballot hall of famer we're going to start with is clayton kershaw who made his debut today in the year 2008 yeah he ended up being pretty good jeff yeah i think he's i think he is pretty good so the first two years in the league he went five and five and eight and eight and then his third year, he went 13 and 10. And then after that, he took off. Then he led the league in wins. He's led the league in wins three times. He's led the league in ERA five times. Uh, a lot of black ink here. Led the league in strikeouts several times. It's a good looking baseball reference page here for Mr. Kershaw. All right. So we've got one surefire Hall of Famer. Sandwiched in between these Hall of Famers is a former guest that has been on the show. 
Today in 2002, Chris Snelling made his debut. Oh, nice. <laughs> he was fun. He had some good stories for us about the uh, minors and getting called up and so forth. And then probably the big one, if you're on social media that has anything to do with baseball today, you have probably already seen that today in 1951, the Say Hey Kid, Willie Mays, made his debut in the majors, which is awesome. And and baseball was never the same. No. The amount of people that saw him play that said, there is nobody you will ever convince me was better than him is just staggering. Say Hey Kid, do you uh, remember how he got that nickname? I, I don't. The story that I have always heard is that he was not good at remembering names. So to get people's attention or to say hi, he would just say, hey, (laughs) You know, hey, you. (laughs) Now, upon doing some research for this uh, little debut segment, I found out that there are some other theories that say that that is not the case. None of them were very interesting, so I'm going to stick with the fact that he just liked to say hey to everybody to get their attention. So Mays went hitless in his first 12 at-bats in the majors. On his 13th, though, his very first uh, major league hit was a home run off a of Warren Spawn at the Polo Grounds. So starting it off in style and kept going for a long, long time. 1951 World Series Game 5, Mays hit a fly ball. Joe DiMaggio and Mickey Mantle both went after. Well, DiMaggio called off Mantle and Mantle got his cleat stuck in an open drain pipe which that I need to know more about an open drain pipe just being in the middle of the outfield. Uh, this caused him to uh, suffer from a knee injury, though, that would affect him the rest of his career and yeah. certainly affect what was always referred to as well above average speed until this injury. There's so many pictures of, of Mickey Mantle, like just with ice packs strapped to his <laughs> knees in, in the clubhouse. His entire career, he struggled with uh, knee problems and yeah. knee issues, yeah. I w- just wonder how much more power Mickey would have had if he wouldn't have been injured like that. Yeah, no kidding. How many more home runs he might have hit. Uh, Willie Mays, a couple of other cool things I've, I've heard about him and just want to talk about quickly. He always wore a, a hat that was one size larger than it needed to be so that when he was running in the outfield or running around the bases, it would fly off and make him look faster. Not that he needed to look faster, but that's why he did it. Sometimes he said he would even deliberately slip on the ground to make catches look tougher than they really were. He and, and he attributed this to his time in the Negro Leagues where they were playing baseball, but they were also putting on a show. Right. You've got enough talent. You can do that. That's that's awesome. Yeah. He became the only modern player to score from first base on a single to left field. <laughs> he, also, he also scored from first base on a Willie McCovey bunt where there was no error credited on the play. Okay. Yeah, this is going to be the thing. We're going to need to go back and figure out how those happened. So we're going to need to get back next week and we're going to go through those because those that's incredible. Yeah, I got to know about those. (laughs) All right. So those were our debuts for today, May 25th. Let's get into our trivia. Now, when I mentioned this trivia question last week, I told everybody I'm making up for the uh, five teams in California and one 
anybody ever having played for all five teams. So I was going to give everybody a, a, a layup, uh, put this one on a T, and it was. We got a lot of a lot of correct answers here, and a lot of people that just one answer too. It wasn't uh, wasn't thinking of, of multiple ones. My question mark was who is the only player to win two Silver Slugger awards in the same season? Right. Yeah, I remember now. Did you come up with with an answer? I'm pretty positive that it's Buddy Biancolana, one of our favorites. Uh, no, yeah. it is not. Nor is it Kurt Bavacqua. Oh. As a lot of our astute listeners came up with, it is. it happened just a couple years ago in 2018. It is J.D. Martinez of the Boston Red Sox, where he won a Silver Slugger as an outfielder and as a designated hitter. Oh, okay. Wow. Now, this is, uh, several of our, our listeners posed this question, and are they going to award, and I don't know, have they been awarding Silver Sluggers to American League pitchers because they have been batting because of interleague play? I don't think they have. No, I don't think so. But do you give one to Otani this year? He's certainly hmm. probably going to win the Silver Slugger for the DH position. Yeah, I, I think uh, there's not going to be any other American League pitchers that are going to be up there with him with home runs. I'm, that's just a prediction I'm making. It's bold, but I'm pretty positive. He pitches and still bats on that day, regardless of where they are. I'm yes. just wondering: are they going to are they going to award an American League Silver Slugger for the pitchers? Be interesting to see. All right, so I got a question for you. This one's a little bit harder. I'm, I'm ratcheting it up a little bit. And because we talked about Willie Mays, because it is the anniversary of his debut, I wanted to ask a Willie Mays question. So here it is. In 1971, Willie Mays homered in the first four games of the 1991—1991—of the first four games of the 1971 season. That set a new record for most games with a home run from the start of the season. That record has since been tied. Can you tell me who did it and what year? Hmm, that's a good one. Yeah, I thought I like it was an interesting question. It tied in with a debut. I think it's I think it's gettable because you know it's from 1971 till well, you know nobody did it this year. I'll t I'll give you that. That is uh, essentially 40 years you've got to go through. Mm hmm. Mm hmm. And uh, I want. I want everybody just to start going through every roster and going through every the first four games of every season and see what you come up with. Sit on that for a while. We'll revisit this next week, and I will tell you the answer. And, of course, if you've got the answer, feel free to reach out to us on social media or any other way that you get a hold of us. You can just yell it out the window. We'll probably hear it. Yeah, most of, most of the time we're hearing that stuff. So. Yeah. yeah it's, all right. Yes. So let's let the ground screw come out and do the, do their stuff. Like we said, this is a Tales from the Dugout, so they're really probably just going to put the tarp on, and we're going to go play cards in the in the clubhouse and talk about some stuff. So, Mark, you and I both want to talk about something that we brought up last week, and we actually got a lot of response about this as well. As last week we were talking about Benny DiStefano and how he was the last left-handed catcher to catch in the major leagues and and he only did it for three games and so you know it was not really he wasn't really a catcher by trade 
And so we started to kind of just kick around the, you know, why do you not see left-handed catchers anymore? We got a lot of people, a lot of listeners responding to us and giving us their theories and what they had heard, including, <laughs> including one listener that uh, said that they had heard that it was because it was harder for the catcher to receive throws from right field. And I had heard that as well, but they said that they heard that from our show. So we, we're apparently dispensing information that we don't remember uh, as soon as we are done recording the show. I got a bunch of theories here, uh, and I think you do likewise. What, uh, what have you come up with? What have you deduced from last week as to why we don't see left-handed catchers anymore? Well, I got a great email from a comedian named Jonesy who does the Weird AF News podcast. And he's a former catcher, and he kind of started explaining a few things to me. What jumped out most for me was, uh, he says, as for throwing the third, being left-handed would require you to pivot your body to the left before making the throw, and that's a slight loss of time, and it's a less quick release. When you think about that, throwing the third is going to be a bit of an issue uh, for a lefty. Yeah, now this was, that absolutely, that's one of the things that I saw. And this was, this was the explanations that I saw. First of all, at this day and age, stealing bases is not much of a thing anymore, unfortunately. But stealing third, it happens even less than stealing second does, right? Mm -hmm. Also, I would say that I see more catchers throw behind the runner at first than I do people trying to steal third. You know, you're probably right. And yeah. like you watch, you watch uh, Molina throw to first and, I mean, he snaps it down there. Whether yeah. there's a left-handed batter in the box or not. Yeah, I, I absolutely agree. And actually, there are some numbers, though, uh, that I was reading that really showed that the number of left-handed versus right-handed batters is almost, it's, I think it's 57% right-handed batters now. So it's not like you have exclusively right-handed batters in the box anymore. Lefties are not that rare anymore. Right. But uh, yeah, I mean, that is definitely one. They, they will have a little bit harder time if there's a right-handed batter throwing to third. But again, 43% of the time, there's nobody in that right-handed batter's box. So there's nobody impeding you. Right. But you do have to pivot your body a little bit. But yeah, that is definitely one that I had, uh, that I had heard as well. Well, in all honesty, uh, I found a couple of sources that said uh, they just are not, they don't make left-handed hitting or left-handed throwing catcher's mitts. Yeah. They just, they're not out there. I did a little research on that as well. <laughs> and, um, I mean, this is certainly not, I'm sure, across the country. They interviewed a local Little League here in the Bay Area. I think it was in Berkeley. Now, I'll just say that Berkeley is a very, very affluent place to, to, to live. It is you got to have a lot of money. But there, every Little League team has access to a left-handed catcher's mitt. No kidding. Yeah. And it makes sense because, you know, in Little League, you don't have a dedicated catcher. You don't have one guy that's back there every game for the entire game. you got guys that are switching around and playing different positions because nobody's good at any position. So, <laughs> but yeah, they, they definitely, at least in one little league here, again, this was just happened to be this article that I read. They do provide a left-handed catcher's glove to, to every team just so 
you're a lefty and you want to catch, you you can do it. But uh, which is I, great. Outside of Berkeley, though, I think it might be. Yeah, a, like I said, <laughs> if you go down to Oakland, you might not might not get that as much. But yeah, that is definitely something I saw as well. So I, I wanted to first talk about the the kind of the the biggest name of left-handed throwing catchers, and that is good old Jiggs Donahue. Jiggs played in the big leagues for nine years. He played for a bunch of teams, but he was the last guy that threw left-handed and was behind home plate basically the whole year. If you look at his baseball reference page, it's, it's mainly two and three, and then as he, he got into his late 20s, the knees must have gone, and he, he moved to first base. But he is the guy that is caught the most in the modern era as a left-handed throwing catcher. Nice. And offensively, not not great numbers. I mean, he played during the dead ball era, so not a whole lot sure. there. But uh, he is kind of the big name in terms of left-handed throwing catchers. Now, kind of thing that I wanted to talk about. First of all, I watched video of Benny DiStefano behind the plate. And I am not going to lie. It kind of freaked me out. It is so strange looking <laughs> to see a left-handed guy behind home plate in catcher's gear and throwing it around. It's, it's really weird. One of the things that I read about is that this is one of those unwritten rules that you just don't have a left-handed hitting catcher, which you were not huge fans of unwritten rules, but no. that's one of them. Uh, and, and I think a lot of it is because they, people think that you just can't you can't take that throw. You've got to reach around for the ball, and then that gets you in a bad position. You can't throw to third. I think all of those are are kind of assumptions. And one of the articles I read really broke down some numbers and kind of showed that those assumptions are not necessarily true. Oh. But it's one of those things. You, you just you don't expect it. This is the thing, though, that I believe is the real reason you don't see many left-handed throwing catchers. And we say it all the time, right? If you throw left-handed as a pitcher and you have a heartbeat, you can stay in the big leagues forever. Yes, you can. Forever, ever. So what I read is that whenever, you know, in youth baseball, whether it be Little League or even a little bit past Little League, if you got a left-handed throwing catcher, more than likely your coach is going to move you and put you on the mound because it's, you don't get many left-handed catchers or left-handed pitchers. In That's a league. great point. Absolutely true. So yes. as a left-handed guy, they're going to stick yes. you out there on the mound. And once somebody sees a left-hander out there on the mound, they're going to keep running them out there on the mound. I really think this one makes a ton of sense is that they kind of get pigeonholed as you're a left-handed uh, thrower. Get out from behind the plate and get up there on the mound because that's probably the easiest way to... Uh, well, I don't know. I guess catchers is the easy way is considered an easy way to the big leagues, right? Because nobody wants to catch. My dad used to tell me he made every team he made by going out for catcher yeah. because nobody else wanted to. Yeah, but uh, that's just uh, I thought that was fun. I, now, what I'm excited to see, I want to start to see two way players. I don't want to see a pitcher and a DH. I want to see a pitcher and a catcher. So you go out there every fifth day. And you and you pitch, but the other four days you're behind the plate. That's what I want to see. <laughs> that that take a special player, absolutely. Or how about just a reliever? You're behind the plate. Is a big situation. 
you go out there and you and you pitch for your three batters and then you go back behind the plate again this is what <laughs> i want to see all right dream big jeff yes <laughs> all right oh i was just going to mention a couple of things um one from uh, the we talked recently about uh, jacoby ellsbury being nicknamed jacoby ellsbury <laughs> yep a listener uh, keith wrote to us and said it stems from when he stole the first base of the World Series, oh. Taco Bell gave a free taco out to every customer the next day because he successfully stole the base. That is brilliant. Keith, yeah. orange slices and Sunny D for you. That Thank you. That is awesome. Yeah, they run that promotion every every World Series. Got it. Yes. That makes yeah, so good sense. All right. I, I wanted to get that out there. Also, the 20,000th player in MLB history took uh, place on the Seattle Mariners. Jose Godoy became the 20,000th player in Major League Baseball history. And I thought, well, now that's a history story right there. So good for Jose. He didn't really do anything, but he's the answer to a trivia question. Please tell me he's Australian. Godoy, mate. <laughs> no? I don't think he's no. Australian. <laughs> no. Yeah, that's a lot of players. 20,000. Yeah, so remember just a couple of weeks ago when we were 21 players short of 20,000, Albert Pujols had played with 22.8% of all Major League players in That's the history right. of the game. <laughs> That's a lot of guys that have come and gone since Albert Pujols. All right, so I, I wanted to talk about something that I saw that happened over in the NPB in Japan. Last month, on April 15th, the police arrested Mashigi Yamanutsu. Oh, bless you. <laughs> Thank you. You're so good looking. Uh, this uh, Mr. Yonamutsu is 43. He's a, He works at a supermarket in Saga City, and he was arrested on suspicion of obstruction of business, which is a crime, apparently, for sending an email claiming that he was going to blow up the Tokyo Dome, home of the Yamayuri Giants. Yonamutsu admitted to the charges, saying that, quote, I was dissatisfied with the Giants' management policy and sent the email impulsively out of anger. You might think that Yonamutsu was a Giants fan and he was not happy with the way his team was playing. You would be wrong. He is actually a SoftBank Hawks fan, and he stated that he was bored when the Giants lost so easily the last couple of seasons in the Japan series. The Giants had faced the Hawks in 2019 and 2020, and they were swept both times. So he was tired of this, this team just not giving his team any uh, competition in the playoffs. So he was arrested on January 10th for sending a text message from his phone. He sent it to the, he just went to the Yamiura Giants website, and there's like a contact us you know, button there. So he just typed him up a, a quick email that said he was going to blow up the team facilities and the Tokyo Dome. There was never any uh, suspicious objects found. Uh, he was just apparently mad and typing, but uh, wasn't going to actually ever do anything. But I think we can all relate to him in some level. Oh, yeah. I, I, I mean, I get frustrated over over my teams and stuff losing but i've never even come close to 
texting that I'm going to blow something up, um, <laughs> <No>. <laughs> which is, I think, where his downfall really was. <laughs> yeah. yeah, I mean, I admit there are once or twice a year for the A's, I generally will take a couple of games off and just not watch or pay attention. Like when they really start, they when they have a really bad streak and I just get frustrated watching them play the mm-hmm. same way, I'll take a couple of days off because I, I, I'm way too invested in them. Uh, currently, though, I'm doing something different. We haven't really talked about this. The A's have apparently with the blessing of Major League Baseball, started to check out other locations for relocation, trying to pressure Oakland to vote on this new Howard Terminal Stadium. Oh, yeah. And I am so livid about this that uh, I have, I'm I'm still watching every game, but I am not going, I'm not going to give them another dollar of my money until this is finished, until either... They have got a stadium and they're staying or they say they're going to leave. And then which case I'm going to have to do some serious thinking as to what I want to do moving forward. Yeah, Um, but I am I am not I am fully vaccinated now. I was, you know, two weeks ago when I still had another week to go for that two week waiting period after your second jab. I was so excited. I was like, Astros are going to be in town that first series. I'll be ready to go. And then this came out and I am. I am not going to be attending an A's game this year unless something gets cleared up. Well, that's certainly understandable, man. That's got to be incredibly frustrating. Yeah, I'm not going to threaten to blow anything up, though. Again, no, good, probably, good. Yeah, that's smart thinking, man. <laughs> it's probably a bit much. <laughs> I wanted to talk a little bit. I found an article. It's an older article that talked about the walk-off triple. How many walk-off triples have you seen? Not many, because usually that the batter will usually stop at second. <laughs> right. Most of the time they do. And it, the, the article I found, the, the writer was arguing uh, that there should never, ever see a walk-off triple because the batter is rounding second and open, opening up another front where he could be tagged out, not just the runner ahead of him, could be tagged out, but now he's opening a front where he could be tagged out before the runner actually touches home plate. Yeah, well, what if there's no outs? Well, or yeah, see, there, 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 there are points and counterpoints to it also. What if the runner gets uh, thrown out at home and you want to be on third base instead of just on yeah, second that, base? You've just given your team another uh, something like 8% chance of, of scoring that a That was what I was thinking is if Albert Pujols, let's say you're in extra innings and Pujols is your ghost runner, right? He made the last out. All right, well, you probably pinch run for him, but let's say you don't. All right, you got Gavin Lux is up after him, and he hits it into the alley, and he is. <laughs> by the time Pujols is touching third, he, you know Lux might be <laughs> Lux might be rounding second. Like he's got to get up. He wants to get to third because if Pujols is thrown out at home, then you're just a wild pitch away from from walking it off. You don't even need another hit. Sure. Yeah, and there. Are- a lot of ways to score from third that you can't score from second. So that makes total sense. The uh, writer though, uh, this is, let me kind of give you what he posits here. He says um, in stretching a double into a pointless triple, the batter has simultaneously opened up a second front by which his team can be attacked and remove the lead runner's loan option for retreat. If he, if the lead runner 
ends up in a pickle, he can't come back to third. No, he can, the because the, it's still yeah, his can, base. But, <laughs> right. Whereas if, if the batter stays at second, that's not going to be an issue. It, it's kind of interesting. I thought maybe I'd throw it out there and get some banter going on. Maybe some people want to write write us about this and give us uh, their ideas. But uh, it's just interesting. I'd never thought about it. But uh, it's actually, he's not, this writer is not the only one that believes this. I found a few other articles that, say, that state the same thing. I wonder what baseball people think. Yeah. Because I, I frankly, I, I think that sounds like a hogwash. I'm not down with that. Yeah, I, I found it interesting. Um, and the arguments, all, while probably these things would not happen with the thousands of games that are played, hey, you never know, man. Something like that could happen. Somebody falls down on the way home, tries to retreat back to third base, but the the, the guy who had the triple is there now. Uh, you know, they're just – it's incredibly small chances of getting out, but it does add a chance. So, I mean, I, I, I'm with you. I think it's uh, – I think it's a, I think it's a baloney, but I also thought that it was an interesting argument. I'm going to think about it. I'm going to think about it and we'll, we'll see next week if anybody else has some interesting thoughts that we want to talk about. All right. Well, let's, uh, this game is officially rained out, Mark. They've, they've, they can only keep the, uh, the, the beer vendors and, and food vendors here so long before we got to call it. So, uh, okay. let us now turn our heads towards the uh, final segment of the show. It is uh, where we like to take some old baseball cards and we like to look at them. We like to talk about them. We like to play what we call Wax Packs Heroes. Wax Pack Hero! Gotta pull a Wax Pack Hero! I am unstoppable. I am a juggernaut, and I'm coming yes. for you. It is. Uh, it, it's been kind of scary. I've been losing sleep. Yeah, well, you should because you were one victory away from claiming back-to-back Wax Packs championships, and yes. I needed eight in a row. Uh, I have now won three in a row. So yeah. you might want to get there. You might want some stirring in the bullpen. You might want <laughs> to get some guys up uh, because I'm I'm coming for you. Now you haven't seen my bullpen, Jeff. It's, <laughs> it's not going to stick with the starter. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, uh, as we've done the last couple of weeks, I got some kind of more recent cards. We're going to do another pack of 97 Don Russ. Okay. Um, and the, yeah, I think maybe next week we'll go back and do some wax pack before we jump back into some more of these more modern ones, but it's kind of fun just to get some different names that we haven't talked about. So uh, I've got these two uh, packs here. If you are new this is how we play the game. We will open these packs and we are going to take the player on the card. We're going to take their baseball reference war from the year of the card, which in this case is 1997. And uh, we'll take that. A couple of ways you can add some extra value or subtract some to it. If you are sporting a mustache, you're going to get an extra tenth of a point. If it's a really good mustache, if it's going to make, you know, you're walking down the street and people are going to walk past you and they're going to turn around and they're going to say, Dang, that's a good mustache. You're going to get two tenths of a point. That was Tom Selleck is what they're going to yeah, say. You're going to get two tenths <laughs> of a point of mustache for that. Uh, two tenths of a point of war for that mustache. Also, if you're wearing glasses of any sort, uh, last week we said monocle. I'm going to actually subtract if you're wearing a monocle. 
I don't think we're going to run into that. But glasses of any sort, you're going to get extra tenth of point of war. If you're wearing real stirrups that we can see, we can see some sanitary underneath them, you're going to get a tenth of a point. But if you're wearing the two-in-ones, we're going to subtract a tenth of a point because we're not fans of that. And then finally, if you have got a sweatband with your caricature, your jersey number, or if you sold out and there's a corporate logo, you're going to get a tenth of a point of war. And if you are a Hall of Famer, you're going to get a whole point of war because you, my friend, have earned it. All right. I got two packs here, Mark. These are these super sealed ones, so I'm going to have to cut them up to open them. Oh, yes. But I've got one in my left hand, one in my right hand. Which one would you like? Well, I've been picking the right hand and, and losing. But I just don't think, I mean, three in a row with the right hand and a loss, I just don't think it's going to go to four, so I'm going to go right again. All right. I'm going to have you go first because I'm the home team. I'm going to have to cut. How in the world are you supposed to actually open this? I don't know without damaging the cards because I've damaged the cards again. Well, so. I think we're not collectors. <laughs> All right. So I've, I've broken the outer seal. Now I must unwrap the, the inner sanctum here. And these are high gloss, so I'm going to have to here, listen to them crack. <laughs> it's like you're at a chiropractor. That is, <laughs> these are really, really in there. All right. So this is a, well, this is an interesting picture. It is picture for the Reds here. It's Jeff Brantley. And uh, he's definitely not pitching this day because he's sitting in the dugout. He's got his jacket on. He's got a towel around his neck. He's got shades on and his hat. And he's staring at a ball that he's holding with two hands intently. So I don't know what's going on here. But he's, uh, he's into this ball. But nevertheless, it is uh, pitcher Jeff Brantley. Jeff Brantley uh, currently a broadcaster for the Cincinnati Reds. Is he? Yeah, I ran into him once. Let's see. Jeff Brantley came up with the Giants in 1988. 1997, looks like he was injured a good deal of the year. Only appeared in 13 games. Had a 3.86 ERA, though. Not too bad. And uh, that equates to a war of 0.2. Now, you are going to get an extra tenth of a point, though, because as I said, he is wearing sunglasses. Nice. Yeah, so you're, you're off with a, a point three to start with. That's good. Our next guy is not a fan of Albert Bell running the bases. Does that give okay. you a clue as to who it is? Uh, no, it doesn't. <laughs> Fernando Vina. Fernando Vina. Wow, I haven't heard about, I haven't thought about that guy in a long time. Well, for now, I thought he was managing the, uh, the Rainier's. A year or two ago. Fernando Vina? Yeah. Interesting. Uh, but of course, Fernando Vina took that straight arm from Joey Bell on the base paths at one point. <laughs> Vina is 5'9", 170. Albert Bell is not. So that uh, is his claim to fame. I, I follow him on Twitter. I think he's a baseball coach at a high school. Gotcha. Same thing as Mariners Minor Leagues. Uh, that, was a, that was a low blow. Let's see. 97, he was in Milwaukee. He was injured for part of the year. Who knows? It might have been after... Albert gave him the business. Uh, 673 yeah. OPS. That's a 75 OPS plus, And that equates to a war of 1.1. Um, I hate to be the bearer of bad news, but he does have two and ones here. So that's only going to get you one even. That's ridiculous. Come on, Fernando. Two and ones. I'm excited to talk about this. Uh, besides being mentioned in the Mitchell Report. Because, I mean, I, I frankly feel like that's everybody we look up. Um, yeah. So do you remember, I remember it because I was living in Atlanta when this song was out, but Jermaine Dupree's Welcome to Atlanta. 
I do not. Where the players play. Well, you'll be hearing a little bit of underneath right now. He did a remix with Nelly and Murphy Lee and the Saint Lunatics, which is Nelly's gang. Uh, <laughs> apparently, Fernando Vina was, uh, was in this video. So now I'm going to have to find that as well. Yeah. Next, uh, we have got, uh, for the Rangers outfielder, Rusty Greer. Rusty Greer. Um, there was a lot of talk about him and his, his ability, his hitting abilities, and it just never really blossomed into the uh, the player that uh, we were told he could end up being. Rusty Greer, a.k.a. the Red Baron. Nice. That. That's a good nickname. You can guess what color his hair is. Uh, 97, <laughs> wow, he played in 157 games for the Rangers. That's a lot. Wow. Uh, what, a, what a great year he had. He slashed 321, 405, 531. 42 doubles, 26 home runs, only 87 RBIs. That seems kind of low. A 138 OPS plus. Not much of uh, speed in terms of stolen bases, but that is a war of 4.6, and he has got real stirrups on, so that's a 4.7. That's awesome. I mean, in fact, I'm going to go ahead and declare Rusty Greer one of my favorite players. Uh, he is. He very well could be your MVP. His real first name is Thurman. Thurman Clyde Greer Third which is pretty cool. I mean, that sounds like uh, probably a Confederate general at some point, but uh, I'm going to go ahead and pretend that Thurman, he was named after Thurman Munson instead. There you go. All right, so you are at six even. Next, we get a uh, guy that led off a lot of times for Atlanta. It is Marquise Grissom. Marquise Grissom, one of the fastest players I've ever seen. Uh, a man could steal bases like nobody's business. Good. Uh, I think he's a pretty good center fielder, too. I believe so, yeah. They, I mean, the Braves really had some good center fielders there. They had they had Otis Nixon, they had Marquise Grissom, and then, of course, Andrew Jones. Um, let's see, 97. In, in, let's see, he went from Atlanta to Cleveland, actually. He went through the two mm. teams we try not to name. So uh, in 97, uh, pretty good year. Uh, well, his, his on, uh, I was looking at his slugging. Never mind. His on base was 317, uh, an OPS plus of 83. That equals a war of 1.9. Now, he does have real stirrups on, so congratulations there on that. So that will take you to a even two. Uh, During his playing career, he bought houses for his parents and every one of his 14 siblings. Way to spread the love around, man. That's good. Yeah, that's a lot of of family. All right, so you're up to eight even. Next, we're going to get one of our two favorite guys from Kingston, Jamaica. This guy was in the news recently when he was uh, let go from his hitting coach job at the uh, the New York Mets because clearly it was his fault. It's Chili Davis. Definitely uh, it's Chili's uh, fault, uh, what's going on uh, as far as the bad times for the Mets. No question about it. They had to get rid of him and get rid of him quick. You can't fire the players. <laughs> exactly. Yeah, it, you know what? It's one of those things where they're going to turn on somebody and say, oh, well, you're, you know, we're not hitting, so blame the hitting coach. Yeah, something like that. Chili Davis, is, is, is a, from what I know of him, is a good guy and an amazing baseball guy. Charles Theodore Davis won three World Series, was an all-star three times. In 1987, it was his final—and I'm sorry, we want 97. In uh, 1997, it was his one year with the Royals. He was 37 at this point. He still hit 30 home runs and drove in 90. He hit 279 and an OPS plus of 131. Wow. So he was a DH that year, though. So that equates to a war of 2.4. 
he's got real stirrups on. I like this. We've got a lot of real stirrup guys here today. Uh, he Actually, usually has a mustache, but I cannot see a mustache. And oh, by the way, Marquise had a mustache too. So I got to give you okay. an extra tenth of a point there. So Chili, I'm going to just give you two point five on Chili for the Marquise mustache as well. That'll bring you okay. up to ten point five. Next, we have got from the Philadelphia Phillies catcher Benito Santiago. Benito, uh, fantastic catcher, and he was he was pretty iconic um, when he was playing. Everybody knew Benito and. Uh, that uh, you didn't want to run on him a whole lot. And no way. That pretty well, too. Yeah, Benito had a cannon from behind there, from his knees he could throw. Uh, always looked pretty stylish back there, too. He wore some wraparound sunglasses and stuff before everybody was doing it. Let's see, 97, he played for the Blue Jays that year, had an OPS plus of 73. I think we're basically looking for war to save you here. He had a .8 war. Um, I cannot see any stirrups here, but I don't, can't tell. Looks like he's just wearing the colored socks, but he does have a mustache. So you're going to get a 0.9 from Benny. Okay. That'll bring you up to 11.4. Okay. Next, you have got pitcher for the Toronto Blue Jays, Juan Guzman. Guzman. Boy, was he a starter? I believe he was, sir. Let's take a look at his uh, baseball reference page here. On two World Series teams with the Blue Jays, also won an ERA title. In 1997, though, he appeared to be hurt. But to answer your question, yes, he was a starter. In fact, in his 10 years, he appeared in 240 games, started 240 of them. So he was very much a starter. Yeah, exclusively a starter. 97, only went 3-6. and six. He only pitched in 13 games. The next year, he would go on to lead the league in losses. Nice. But let's see. In those few games, he did accrue a war of minus .1. And Wait. there's nothing on this card that's going to get you anything else. So, Juan, did you no favors? Be proud. Yeah, but he was on the Blue Jays for the World Series in both 92 and 93. I didn't remember this about him. So, not a quick worker. In fact, so slow that they gave him the pitcher's version of the nickname, the Human Rain Delay. Okay. So, you are at 11.3. Next. Wow. You've got a Angels outfielder that is named after a fish. Ah, and uh, and these are 97 Tim cards. So <laughs> Tim Salmon. There you go. The original Mr. Angel, King Fish, the Slammin' Salmon, Tim Salmon. Uh, Tim was the Rookie of the Year. Remember that? Uh, oh, yeah. That, that was uh, in 1993. Wow. That's uh, some good numbers. 31 home runs, 35 doubles. Uh, OPS plus of 143, but we are looking at 1997, uh, which he had an equally good year. He slashed 296, 394, 517 for an OPS plus of 134. Had 129 ribs that year. It's not bad. And that equates to a war of 5.0 even. Beautiful. Uh, nothing else on this card is going to get you anything, though. Definitely taken in spring training at some good uniforms. I would expect some sunglasses on him, but he has got nothing. He's just, he's a man out there in, in the outfield. So Salmon's number 15 has not been retired, but it has not been used since his retirement. Mm. Okay, next we have got a, another great outfielder with Atlanta. Uh, we've called him Mr. Halleberry before, but uh, here he is. We'll give him his due. It is Dave Justice. The, the, that dude could hit. He had a lot of pop, a lot of power. He seemed to have a, a, he had a flair for the dramatic. And I remember him coming into 
uh, Seattle and just killing us. Oh my gosh. He was one of those guys you just didn't want to see because he destroyed the Mariner. He destroyed a lot of people. You're right. Rookie of the year, won two world series, uh, was a ALCS MVP 1997. He was an all-star his first year with Cleveland. Wow. Listen to these numbers. Listen to this slash line, 329, 418 on base and a 596 slugging. 33 home runs, 31 doubles, 101 RBIs. He walked more than he struck out. He walked 80 times, struck out 79. That equates to an OPS plus of 158. And that's going to get you a war of only 3.8. What? Really? Rusty Greer had a higher war this year <laughs> than David Justice. I, I must be taking in some, some defense into account here. Yeah, it has to be. But uh, nothing else on this card is going to get you anything. Uh, so that's a 3.8. All right, next you have got a Astros shortstop. That Oh, I remember this guy. Orlando Miller. Yeah, I remember Orlando Miller. I don't remember a whole lot about him because I don't think there was anything too spectacular there. No offense, Orlando. <laughs> Orlando, keep your emails. We understand. I remember him because he was on the Astros when they first went to those black and white uniforms. Which were atrocious, but he was only in the league for four years. Ninety-seven was his final season. He spent it in Detroit. He uh, accrued a seventy-two OPS plus, and that equals a WAR of point four. There's nothing on this card because he's sitting in the dugout with a towel over his head. Great action shot of Orlando. Uh, all right, so you're down to just a couple left. Here we go with pitcher. I rem I think everybody's going to mainly remember him as a pitcher for the Orioles, but here he is with the Brewers. It is Ben McDonald. Man, we've we've talked about Big Ben before. We have. And we just yeah, I, yeah, I'm a huge fan. I always like the guy. All right, so Ben McDonald uh, did come up with Baltimore. Uh, his nine years in the big leagues, seven of them were spent with the Orioles. Ninety-seven was his last year. Retired at the age of twenty-nine. I'm going to guess he probably had some injury issues. Ended up with an ERA plus of 115 still. He went 8-7 and seven with a 4.06 ERA. And that equates to a war of 1.7. Not bad. Wow. Okay. All right. So we've talked about Ben and his Bayou exercises before. So we can, we'll, uh, we'll go on from that. Oh, wait. You know what? He's got a, he's got a beard and a mustache. I'm trying to nice. shortchange you here. So I'm going to give you an extra tenth of a point. That brings you up to 22.3 with three cards left. Uh, one of your three last cards is a Hall of Famer with a mustache. Here he is with the Chicago White Sox, Harold Bain. Oh, yes. Uh, we discussed Mr. Bain's uh, Hall of Fame credentials. Uh, and earlier, uh, I think it was even more than a year ago, I remember finally arriving at the fact that, yes, Harold Baines was a very scary hitter. Yeah, we came around that not every Hall of Famer is a Nolan Ryan or Ricky Henderson. You, you've got your superstar Hall of Famers, and you've got average Hall of Famers who are far and away better than anybody just about that they played with during their career. And Harold Baines definitely falls into that category. Harold Baines played for 22 years. Over that, he only played for five teams during those 22 years. The White Sox, he played for 14 of those 22. He was on the White Sox, I believe, three different times, very similar to Ricky and the A's. Actually, one of those players, the White Sox, had retired his jersey number after he left, and then he came back, which is it's weird that you would retire a jersey number to a guy that's not retired, but he was that much of a fixture there. In 1997, it was his uh, second stint in Baltimore. Wow, so in 
93 through 95, he was in Baltimore. 96, he went back to the White Sox. And then 97, the White Sox traded him back to Baltimore at the deadline. <laughs> so, Goodness. Uh, let's see. In 97, though, he had a pretty good year. He was 38 years old and still had an OPS plus of 120. Nice. I'm going to guess that's going to be kind of low war-wise because he was a DH at this point. 1.7. Right. He does have a mustache, and he is a Hall of Famer, so that'll get you a 2.8. Very nice. All right, your second-to-last card. We've talked about this guy before because you went out to dinner with him one time, and he is my favorite catcher of all time. It is oh, Terry yeah. Steinbach. Gotta love Terry Steinbach. Always a fan. This is a great card of his. It, it looks like it's before the game. Well, you're going to like it because he's got his jersey number on his uh, on a sweatband here. But he has got his catching gear on except for his helmet. And his left hand, his hand that he would catch, because he was not a left-handed catcher, I'll tell you, um, no. is all, it's looked like he's going into a prize fight. You know, it looks like somebody has wrapped his hand like he's going to box. And it looks really cool. <laughs> um, I love catchers. All right. So Terry Steinbach in 1997. Let's see. It, this was his first year out of an Oakland uniform. He went back home. He played his final three years for Minnesota, where he is from. He was their primary catcher for all three of those years, and he did Terry Steinbach things. An 80 OPS plus, which is just about where he always was, and that equates to a war of 0.6, but you're going to get an extra tenth of a point because of the jersey number on his sweatband. So that'll bring you up to 25.8. All right, and your final card is uh, with Cleveland, uh, wearing number 69 here in spring training. I've got to assume this has got to be one of his, yeah, this is his rookie card. It is Danny Graves. Oh, wow, yeah. I haven't thought about Danny Graves in forever. I, if you would have asked me if Danny Graves was still pitching, I would say yes. I would say, isn't he on the Reds? Well, that's where he spent most of his career. 11 years in the big leagues, nine of which were with Cincinnati. So I got the team right. I just hadn't, the era was completely wrong. Uh, appeared in 10 games, uh, did not pitch much, not much of a record. Uh, ERA plus of 72. And I'm going to guess you're not going to get much here. He was also traded to Cincinnati during this season. You are going to get a war of minus 0.5. Great. And uh, nothing here on this card is going to help you out. So that is going to give you a final grand total of 25.3. Could it be the winning number? It, could it be? Yeah, I don't know. Let's see. So we're going to we're going to jump right into my pack. Cut the top off of one of these cards, but again, we'll power through it here. You you ready for the crack? Here it comes. Oy. There it is. Oh boy. <laughs> Sounds like my back when I get up in the morning sometimes. All right. Oh, I'm starting off with somebody that I trade for every time when I'm playing a historical uh, walkthrough of uh, out-of-the-park baseball. Here he is with the Royals, Kevin Apier. Man, Kevin Apier was an awesome pitcher. Yeah, he really was. Uh, let's see, Kevin Apier, Ape, I remember that was his nickname. Uh, let's see, spent 16 years in the big leagues. Most of it was with the Kansas City Royals. Yeah, he was on the A's for two years, I certainly remember that. And then he went back and finished his career with the Royals for a couple of years. In 97, he went 9-13 and 13 with a 3.4 ERA. Uh, led the league with 14 wild pitches. That's not going to help in your war, I don't think. Uh, ERA plus of 137. And all of that equates to a war of, wow, 5.6. Well, I guess this is my pack, so that's good. 
Uh, Andy's wow. got real stirrups on, so I'm starting off with a Rusty Greer, like 5.7. And I guess. I, I have to shift gears. I, I, I'm rooting against the cards so much, you know, trying to come back that I forgot that these are for me. Yes. All right, next we have got a pitcher for the Chicago Cubs. It is Jaime Navarro. I think, he, I think everybody called him Jamie Navarro, but I'm going to call him Jaime. Jaime Navarro, uh, wasn't he a brewer most of his career? Let's see, he was on the Brewers for seven out of his 12 years in the big leagues. Okay. Uh, 1998, he led the league in losses. But again, we're looking at 97, where he went 9-14 and 14 with a 5.79 ERA. Ouch. Led the league in hits given up and earned runs and wild pitches. <laughs> wow. So Cheer. both of my pitchers so far have been uh, been fans of the wild pitches. 97, that leads to a war of minus 1.3. Whoa. He's got a mustache. Yeah. Thanks a lot. Minus 1.2. Wow. That's a big number to lose. We generally don't have minuses that, that large. Yeah. The Navarros, his father, Julio, played in the big leagues, and they were actually the first father and son to each record a major league save. Wow. It has since been done by Pedro Bourbon and Pedro Bourbon Jr., uh, Steve Grilly and Jason Grilly, and then Jeff and James Russell. Hmm. All right, so I'm at 4.5. Next, we go to Mr. Marlin, Jeff Conine. Conine the Barbarian. Uh, also, nickname just Nine or Mr. Marlin. Played for the Marlins for a good port for a good part of his career. Seventeen years in the big leagues. Eight of them were with Florida. Uh, won a couple of World Series. Um, I think they were both with him. Uh, well, both. I think they were both with the Marlins in '97 in Florida. An okay year. '98 OPS plus. So right on the league average. That gives me a WAR of 1.3. He. That looks like that is his jersey number. Mm, no, I, I think it says Franklin. So no no extra bonus there. So that'll just get me 1.3. And that'll bring me to 5.8. Next, oh, I got a Hall of Famer. I got a Hall of Famer that I am very familiar with, and I'm excited for this one. With the Braves, Mr. Greg Maddox. Oh, man. One of the greats. I'm, I'm putting together a really good pitching staff here with this pack. For uh, sure. Greg Maddox. Uh, we're not going to talk about how he hazed uh, rookies in the shower. It's not what we do here, uh, but that's a story. There is so much black ink here on his baseball reference page. It is a little bit obscene. Uh, 1997, he went 19 and 4 with a 2.2 ERA, <laughs> pitched 232 and two thirds innings, only gave up 20 hits, 57 earned runs, nine home runs. He struck out 177. He only walked 20 batters, had an ERA plus of 189. We know he had a gold glove that year. We know he was an all-star that year. And that equates to a war of 7.8. He is a Hall of Famer, but he does have two and ones. So that will give me an 8.7. Oh, wow. For Mad Dog. That's a high score. Yeah, that right there just bumped me up to 14.5. Thank you. Greg Maddox. All right. Next, we've got a guy for the Tigers. He was with the Tigers for quite a while. Bobby Higginson. Yeah, I remember him only as a Tiger. I don't know if that was his whole career, but. Wasn't he also a Magnum P.I.'s kind of right-hand man? <laughs> yeah, yeah, he was. That was him for sure, Higginson. Uh, yeah. Well, 
Yeah, because that's why Tom Selleck would wear the tiger's hat, right? That's right. It all oh, goes together. It's all fallen into place. <laughs> wow, look at this. 11 years in the big leagues, all of which were with the Tigers. Good for him. I like that. Uh, 97, not a bad year. 30 doubles, 27 home runs, 101 ribs, slash 299, 379, 520 for an OPS plus of 133. He also stole 12 bases. That gives me a war of 3.2. He's got real stirrups on too. Wow. 3.3. I will take that. Wow. I am. I'm closing ground quickly. You're 25.3. I'm at 17.8. And we're not halfway through my pack. Yeah. All right. Next, we've got a guy that uh, I remember him just because he tormented the A's when he was on the White Sox. He also pitched well in Cleveland and New York. He's a big heavy metal fan, and I think he's still in a band. Blackjack, Jack McDowell. Yes, Jack McDowell, a good pitcher in his own right, an interesting individual, let's put it that way. Didn't he, wasn't he in New York at one point, and he was pitching poorly, and he got taken out, and he was being booed, and he flipped the bird to the crowd as he yeah. walked off the mound? Yes, yeah. he lasted exactly one year in New York. <laughs> you do not want to mess with those fans. Yeah. Uh, let's see. The Cy Young year for Jack McDowell was 93. 97 was his second year in Cleveland. He was hurt for part of the year. Only came up with an ERA plus of 92. And that will equate to a war of 0.1. Uh, he's got a mustache. He always had a mustache and a goatee. Nothing else on that. So that'll only be 0.2. I guess it's in the positive. So I'll take that. Stick Figure is the name of his rock band. I remember I actually listened to, I, I, I hunted it down and listened to some of it uh, once. I'll just, that's, that's as much as you need to know. I did not go back for more. Gotcha. Next, I remember this guy because he was in Salt Lake with the buzz at that point when I was covering them. It is, and I think he was Rookie of the Year. And uh, also with the famous tanning bed uh, injury, it is Marty Cordova. Uh, so Marty Cordova in 1997, his third year in the big leagues, uh, OPS plus of 91. That equates to a war of minus 0.1, so thanks for Ouch. nothing. And nothing on this card is going to get me anything. So now I seem to have slowed down and I'm going the wrong way. Uh, we've talked about Marty, though, before, who fell asleep in the tanning bed and uh, missed several games because of it, and then couldn't play in day games for a while uh, after that as well. Definitely one of the one of the stranger injuries in Major League history, along with Ricky Henderson getting frostbite in July. But it yes. Happens. All right. Next, we've got a, let's put it this way, a borderline, maybe he should be in the Hall of Fame. He had some great years for a short period of time. Left-handed closer, which doesn't happen that often. Maybe more yeah. now. But Billy Wagner with the Astros. Yeah, he, that dude, oh my gosh, he was, he was pretty awesome. I used to love to watch him pitch. He just, he was a fantastic closer and, and his, uh, his career shows that. Billy the kid, he was probably the hardest thrower for a while when he was in the league. Oh yeah. Let's see, Houston, Houston, uh, 97. It was only his third year in the big leagues. Still had 23 saves, ERA of 2.85, and ERA plus of 141. That equals a war of 1.2. Nothing on this card is going to get me anything else, but it's a step in the right direction. 
that brings me to 19.1 versus your 25.3. I have probably got six cards left here. Uh-oh. We need some more of those negative guys. Yeah, let's uh, let's hope not for my sake. You know, I just want to, I'm determined to make this interesting. Okay, next is another guy that is one of those, he's not a Hall of Famer, but he, he was, he could kind of smell it every now and then. It is one of the, you know, one of those bedrocks of the Yankees in the in the 2000s, the, the late 1990s, center fielder, Bernie Williams. Bernie Williams was a fantastic player. And even though I like to put down the Yankees, I could never put down a Bernie Sanders. He's just too good. Or Bernie Williams, as the case might be. Sorry, or Bernie Sanders. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you know, that I, out. I think Bernie probably would have been a Hall of Famer if he would have actually listened to George Costanza when he was giving uh, Bernie and, and Derek Jeter those hitting tips. I just right. don't think they, you know, don't get me wrong. Bernie's a great hitter. In 1997, an all-star year, he slashed 328, 408, 544 for an OPS plus of 147. Now, that probably could have bumped up to probably 10 more points to 157 had he listened to Costanza, but he didn't. Uh, that is a war, though, of 5.5. Nothing on this card is going to get me anything more, but 5.5, that takes me up to 24.6, so... I am right on your tail there. Uh, we've talked about Bernie Williams. He's an accomplished musician, guitar player, has many albums out, and of course was on Seinfeld. So we always mention a Senator from Vermont. Yeah, yes. right. <laughs> Senator from Vermont. All right. Next, we've got another guy. We've talked about him in one of our episodes where we talked about uh, players that overcame, I don't want to say disabilities, but overcame hard obstacles to be baseball players. This was the last player in the big leagues who was deaf. It is Curtis Pride here with the Detroit Tigers. Yeah, Curtis Pride was a pretty good ball player. Yeah, I remember, I think he came up with the Expos, I want to say. Yeah, he did. Yep, I remember that. Yeah, so he came up with the Expos. Then he was traded in, uh, let's see, in 97, he was on Detroit. He was traded to the Red Sox. Only appeared in two games for the Red Sox, but 80 for the Tigers that year. And uh, that equates to an OPS plus of 73 and a war of minus 0.4. Curtis, what did I ever do to you? Uh, so that takes me down to 24.2. So you have got a 1.1 lead, war lead with four cards left for me. Oh, boy. It's not looking good. All right. This guy is, uh, we, I feel like we just say the same things about it, but it just blows my mind that this guy is now a uh, reading the news in Atlanta every night. It is Ron Gant here with the St. Louis Cardinals. All around, just a fantastic hitter. He had, didn't he have a 30-30 year or two? Yeah, let's see. 91, he went 30-30. 90, he went 30-30. Um, let's see. And I think, yeah, those are the only two. He only did it twice. <laughs> oh, <yeah. laughs> uh, let's see. 1997, he was in St. Louis. Didn't have a great year. Uh, only an 83 OPS plus. That gives me a .8. Hey, it's in the right direction. Uh, no mustache. He usually had a mustache, but nothing there. But that'll give me a point eight, and that will bump me up to 25 even. So you've got three-tenths of a point of war lead. I've got three cards left. This next guy is somebody that everybody kind of pushes for the Hall of Fame. I love your take <laughs> on little O here with Cleveland, Omar Vizquel. Yes, Omar Vizquel, um, one of my all-time favorites. <laughs> <laughs> he played forever, man, 24 years. Yeah, he played uh, played quite a bit. 
Uh, let's see, in 1997, he was with Cleveland, 153 games, and 85 OPS+. plus. But of course, with Omar, you think about the glove, which is included in war. So that will get me a 3.5. Uh, he does have uh, two and one, so that's only 3.4. But that I will blow past you there. That's plenty enough for uh, for you to get your victory here. Well, as long as these last two guys don't don't you know send me the wrong way, I don't think oh, they should. The worst careers ever. <laughs> I, I think I should be okay. Uh, we're not going to talk about Omar Vizquel's off the field stuff because that's not what we do here. Uh, no. Next, my second to last card is one of the great starting pitchers for the Toronto Blue Jays of the '90s. It's Pat Henkin. Henkin, yeah, they had a pretty solid core. Jimmy Key, yeah, one of them, and Henkin was always really good. Yeah, they, they always had a good pitching staff. Uh, Tom Hankey, of course, yeah. nailing it down in, in, in the bullpen. Uh, 1997 was a really good year for Pat Henkin. Uh, was an all-star. Uh, 96, he won the Cy Young. 97, he continued. Uh, led the league in games, started complete games and shutouts, as well as innings pitched and batters faced. Had a 123 ERA+, plus, and that is a war of 5.8. I'm, I'm going to try to double your score here. This is this is insane. I, I, I have to throw up a protest or something. <laughs> I am I am literally, I'm in the zone here. Uh, my final card is a guy, I remember him with the uh, Rangers. And then he, or did he start with the Yankees and then went on to close? I think that might have been it. John Wetland. Let's find out together, shall we? John Wetland. I cannot remember if he was setting up for the Yankees and then went to the Rangers and became an all-star closer or if it was vice versa. Didn't he come up with came up with the Dodgers Montreal and and then okay so he came up with the Dodgers. He spent yeah. 3 years with the Dodgers, 3 years in Montreal, then he spent 2 years with the Yankees and actually led the league in saves. So he must he he was the closer until Mo uh, came and they're like we don't need you anymore and then he went on. He ended up with 330 career saves. Really nice career. Seven and two in '97 with 31 saves, a 1.94 ERA, ERA plus of 249. He was 149 percent better than the average player, or the replacement player. Let me say that correctly. Um, that only equates to a WAR of 2.8, hmm. and he does have two and one, so that's only a 2.7. So that will take my final score. To 36.9, another just, I, I'm wiping the floor with you here. I just, I can't afford to let up. That now we, takes me up to 16 wins versus your 19. I'm, I'm wondering if we just got cocky. I'm going to have a sit down. Yeah, you've, you probably need to have a closed door meeting and, yeah. and really lay into the, your guys because they're just, <laughs> there's just, we're having fun now. We, there's no pressure on us. We're expected to lose. So we are loose and we're just having fun. We're playing a kid's game. And we're kicking some rear end. So, there you go. All right. I live to see another week. And uh, so that'll do it for another episode of Wax Packs Heroes. Also going to do it for another episode of Two Strike Noise. If you just can't get enough of us, you can find us during the week on uh, all the social medias. We are at Two Strike Noise. That is at TWO Strike Noise on Twitter and Instagram. You can find us on Twitch. We do some things there live every now and then. Uh, I've also started to post some more things to our YouTube channel. I'm going to have another Guess That Game coming out later this week that I just uh, finished. Uh, I just need to edit it. Uh, Mark, they can also get a hold of us via email, and you're going to tell them how. 
Yeah, we enjoy hearing uh, from you in the electronic mail department. You can write to us at Two Strike Noise, spell it out, T-W-O, Strike Noise, at gmail.com. All right, so uh, we are both going to be here next week, so hopefully you will be too, and uh, we'll see you on the next episode of Two Strike Noise. Thank you. God bless you. Have a great day.